So what happens in large organizations is that we are only rewarded by success. And when you have a culture that punishes failure, you cannot drive innovation in that company. This is episode number 53 of The Inspiring Talk with Lalit Zaktiani. Welcome guys to The Inspiring Talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm host for this show. Each week I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. Hey guys, I'm very excited for today's episode with Lalit Jaktiani. Lalit is a business transformation specialist and a thought leader in digital strategy at SAP Singapore. He is also an author of the book When Change Happens: A Story of Organizational Change. He has a passion for filmmaking and has pursued a diploma in filmmaking. Over the years, he has scripted and directed numerous videos and TV spots. He is the chief mentor for Lead Think, a digital platform for leaders and professionals to showcase their capabilities through personal experiences in driving successful transformation in their organizations. In this episode, we discuss about how organizations can drive change more effectively. how to enable innovative thinking within the organization what does digital disruption means to the existing organizations and how can they be prepared for this and lot more guys make sure to share this episode with your friends by visiting theinspiringtalk.com/5353 without further ado let me welcome lalit jaktiani Welcome inside this episode guys I have Lalit Jaktiani chatting with me today Lalit welcome to the show Thank you Vijay and hello everyone and great to be on the show So Lalit you are a change agent thought leader on digital transformation and you also have a diploma in filmmaking how did you get into filmmaking <laughs> uh, Yes so um lo- long uh, ago actually and and if you see throughout my career i've had this um, need to constantly discover myself and i think uh, one of the things that i kind of uh, one of the outcomes of my self discovery was this uh, need to express myself in uh, the visual medium so i kind of uh, got very fascinated i was actually working for at that time an oil and gas company in india and um, i was leading their communications department and at that point the um, this whole context around uh, a video journal was uh, a big thing it started with news track or which was um, a kind of a, a a video medium that we had used to create news and share news across the company glo- um, all over india so i kind of started making that news track because that sounded like a new way of communicating other than the house journal that i was editing and that got me fascinated with this whole medium on uh, of film and um, i kind of pursued that for about a year did a diploma and i think over the 5 years i made about 70 ad films and um, uh, corporate videos during that journey Hmm, that's interesting. So that is a passion project of yours. 
Yes. So the interesting thing is, you know, you do different things in life. And my belief is at some point of time, you never realize when it all comes together. So this filmmaking kind of lasted for about five years. And then I went on to do other things. But now, you know, this new platform that I've come with in um, uh, called Lead Think, we are actually using digital uh, videos as a medium to uh, collect stories on people who have been successful doing transformations. And um, so it's interesting that my hobby and my work have come together to create this interesting mix that is now the new startup that I'm a mentor of. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Um, so Lalit, you have authored a book, When Change Happens. So what was the inspiration to write your book on change management? Ah, yes, that, that's an um, interesting journey for me. So when I started off, um, one fine day, I was kind of invited by my company to lead a, and be a part of this transformation team of the company. And, and actually, I was quite excited about that. But when I actually started this transformation journey, I realized there's a vast gap between the theory of a transformation and what actually happens when you're actually driving change in that particular project. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because, you know, the theory is based on a, a set of structured activities and assumes that all these activities, people will fall in nice shape like a jigsaw puzzle. That means if I do a stakeholder analysis, I do some communication, everyone will fall in line and the organization will be very excited about the change and you know the the, the world will be a better place mm -hmm. but it never always happens like that because we need to understand organizations consist of people mm -hmm. and people don't come to an organization either to resist or accept change they come in to do a job and they come in to earn their bonus and they come in to earn a return for for their efforts that they are putting into the company Mm -hmm. And moment you come in with an agenda of change, one of the biggest fears they have is, am I going to be successful with this new change that is coming in? Is that mm -hmm. going to be impacting my job in a way that I will either land up losing it or I land up becoming less successful or getting less bonus? That's one. The second is, you know, as you go up the hierarchical ladder, you have people who have then come, come to an organization with political agendas. So their interest in knowing about change is, how does this align with my power base? Does that erode my ability or control of organization or people or assets or resources? Or does that allow me to build or grow and become better? So this power play dynamic that happens is another dimension. A mm -hmm. third dimension comes from the business owners themselves. So if I'm the heading a business, I am actually measured by the performance of my business. And now suddenly I have somebody coming in to do a change management program or a workshop, taking away my salespeople from the field to do something um, that I think as a head of business is a waste of my time. It becomes a point for, for of resistance. So then this whole change initiative is seen as an interruption to the business. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is with all these complexities, how does one actually navigate through this journey and how do you kind of manage these personal and professional agendas that people have to drive a successful change. There was no book like that. There was no book that talked about these realities. They gave some theoretical ideas. They gave some constructs, which are very good uh, um, to understand the concepts. But when you're actually executing it, it doesn't prepare you for the real world. So I thought probably one way of doing that was to actually put all my experiences into a book. Now, obviously, when you put that into a book, uh, the risk you have is sharing confidential information of a company that you're not supposed to. 
Yeah. That is the reason why I wrote this book by creating a fictional company. Even the characters I have used are Hollywood characters. So nobody can claim I have talked about them. But each of those incidences that you see in the book or you read about are the ones that have actually happened. And that's and what what the interventions you see that were done with those that I personally or I have witnessed personally happening in the in the organization. So therefore, it's based on real experiences, but it then prepares people for this um, chaotic environment that typically you go into when you're trying to drive a change project and it shows you one way of how you can navigate yourself using a very simple narrative but you know if you kind of go behind the narrative there are some deeper insights that you will get as you read yeah so as you mentioned like change is not an overnight process and it takes a time right because it is such a complex thing to do um i have heard of TPC metrics are technical, political, and cultural metrics in any organizational sense. And you have already mentioned a bit about the political sense and uh, how people will react to the particular change. So which do you think is the toughest not to crack? And what's been your experience like on that? So the toughest nut to crack actually have been people who have been very successful in the organization, independent of the level. So if, for example, I am this... Um, a C-level person in the company, and I have risen the ranks uh, fairly successfully. Um, I, or, or I am a fast track, a fast, uh, uh, high-level performer in the company, and I've been very successful. These are the more difficult people uh, to overcome. The reason being, as human so, beings, um, technical and cultural are you think are more easier as compared to political one? Is it so? Definitely. Um, the, the reason why is because technical, you can easily be able to address it by fixing the technical flaws or technical challenges, if I may put it that way. Mm -hmm. If you think of it from a cultural dimension, it's easy to kind of show people how you can be successful um, by adopting this new change and you can start initiating and there are many initiatives that you can do that can drive the cultural uh, dynamics. The politics by very nature, either they come from fairly empowered people in the company in terms of either they're at a very senior leadership level or at a very influential level. The, the, their, their play is never structured and their play is never logical. It's more structured around power equation and ego. So those dynamics are fairly complex and difficult to navigate. So how do you deal with that kind of situations? What, what's been your experience like in dealing or navigating through that kind of um, issues within the organization, political issues? So the first thing that one needs to, as a change agent, do is clearly understand and analyze this political agenda. So if you look at an individual and, and just listen to what they say, uh, you will never get to understand the agenda that's behind them. So um, that fine art of understanding the political agenda behind the individual is the first thing that you need to understand as a change agent. Having understood that, then you need to look at three things. The first thing you need to look at is, in the course of this change, how does that have an impact on that particular agenda? And find out those areas where you think there is going to be a positive impact. And those are the things that you need to highlight to that particular stakeholder. 
if you're sensing that there's going to be a negative impact on the agenda and you are sensing that there's going to be an area where you're likely to encounter what we call political opposition, then the key is to find out the influencers or the people around this individual who can actually influence the shift. It would be either somebody of a higher power level or somebody who is connected to a, to, to a set of parallel uh, support mechanisms that the individual has to be able to kind of drive that influencing change on that um, power stakeholder. And that's why it's kind of an intricate game in a sense. But once you get a good handle of how to do it, you become fairly good at it. This was about handling the people in power who seems like what's going to happen to the power they already have or uh, their value is going to diminish with the upcoming changes, right? So if we look at the bench level worker or the ground level worker within any organizations, when you are driving these massive changes, you have to deal with employees definitely and you have to bring them to agreement, right? Uh, One of those things, as we discussed, was to bring leaders into agreement or the people in power. And now if we look at the ground level or these uh, bench level uh, worker, you have to bring them into agreement as well, right? One of those ways is giving the rational side or rational reasoning about the change and how that is going to help the organizational grow, giving facts and figures or numbers. That is one part, right? You can bring them to agreement with the rational. But again, there is another most challenging part, which is the emotional side of the employees, right? So how do you deal with the emotional aspect of employees while carrying out the massive organizational changes? Yeah, I think um, one of the areas in my view where very little work has been done, and in my view, a lot more needs to do, is um, going down to what we typically call the operating level of the individual, where you are actually able to go to very clearly identify what is the nature of the job change for that individual, and how does this impact that particular individual. The reason why I say that is because typically all our change projects are more focused on how does it benefit the organization. But what we forget to understand and uh, and realize is that an organization change can never be successful until the teams and the ground that are actually executing that change are successful themselves. So the first thing is, how do you work with individuals and making them successful? So it was very interesting in one of the, and that's also there in my book. We started this whole change program, nothing to do with the agenda of change of the company, but it had more to do with how can I create change from myself because it's something that I truly want and finding out what is it that I really want. So we started this whole uh, piece around change um, using a a context called uh, foundations in organization learning. It's based on the work of Peter Senge. But what it does is we, we work with individuals to say, forget the organization for a couple of minutes and let's talk a bit about you to find out what is it that you are trying to do for yourself and your life because if you think of individuals and many of us are there we very early in life we are always leading a leading what i typically call a directive of what we are expected to do so as a child um, my parents decide you know whether i should go to school nobody asked me whether i wanted to go to school um, my parents decide that then as i go into school my teachers tell me what's the right way to do things and what's the wrong way to do things so i tend to follow that then i go into um, college life i probably there again i'm more following and falling in line with what my professors are expecting me to do 
and then maybe when i get married i may have a choice and i may not if i have a choice i'm lucky and um, i get happy and then i go into corporate life and again there it's more about my boss telling me what to do so we are very good at meeting other people's expectations of us that's mm-hmm. been our survival in the past but very often we never send, spend time with ourselves say, what is it that i really want for myself why am i what drives me what brings me to work every morning other than the responsibility salary and the children i'm looking after and the wife i'm looking after the husband once you start asking yourself that purpose you start finding out one or two or three things in life that you that really personally are engaging and and personally exciting for you it doesn't necessarily have to be with your career but going in that path of the discovery of what excites you creates an energy within yourself and that energy gives you the capability to engage with the rest of whatever you are doing much better so we call this concept personal mastery and once once you are focused on doing that it energizes you and empowers you and allows you to take things on the way which are towards the path of of where you want to go and we found that you know when we started doing these programs with people the people actually came back to us after even uh, uh, 6 months to a year and saying you know we use not only the concepts with ourselves but we also tried that on our children and we found that the children were getting excited hmm. because the the fundamental reality in life is that if i don't know what excites me nobody who whether he is doing change management or speeches can tell me what excites me so i i cannot create a compelling reason for somebody to change unless that person himself is looking for something to do that energizes and empowers him so helping people discover that energy within themselves is in my mind the most powerful role of a change agent because once you have an energized employee on the ground no matter what strategies you execute the ability to deliver on that strategy improves drastically and therefore the outcome of your change becomes more successful but unfortunately most of our change programs don't deal with that part of the aspect we are more about telling people what to do this is the benefit of the organization i mean frankly most organizations um, benefit most people don't connect with right they always connect with their own benefits and then mm. you start telling them okay you will get better bonus is not a motivating factor but if i focus forget the organization let me create an empowered individual and that individual will be like a bundle of energy that itself becomes a powerful change and i think that's where not too many organizations uh, focus on this or do much about i think the reason for organizations not focusing on uh, this part of empowering individuals or bringing that energy uh, because this could be a very very long time taking effort right when organizations have to go through a rapid change then they cannot uh, afford to and maybe work on that ground level to the individuals maybe one it is it might be one of those reasons or what do you think could be other reasons that organizations are really not focusing in in empowering every individual within the organizations while these kind of massive changes uh, so so one thing um is and and actually what you correctly pointed out is it does it take time now in my experience you know there are techniques in performance coaching and there are techniques and methods that you can use that actually doesn't make it a very long process i mean uh, you can do typically things that are events that you can be launched for about even half a day and you can easily scale that by creating or, or enabling people around you to actually be able to 
take that forward create some simple methods and tools where you start scaling it rather than leave it to five people doing it across the organization what you do is you start scaling it by building it like an amoeba you know you start identifying people who are initially getting excited by the concept build them up and make them excite others and then you you excite those others who get excited to excite others it becomes a chain reaction that can move very very quickly so so speed uh, is something that you can always strategize and build so that in my view is not the challenge but the bigger challenge that organizations have is this uh, is worry that an empowered employee or an excited employee uh, may so so when you're creating an empowerment and excitement you're also creating a certain amount of um, an ability to think on their own and when you do that organizations get concerned that you know this energy may totally shift away the focus from what they are trying to achieve so in so, organization uh, the biggest mindset of a leadership sorry go ahead yeah yeah please go ahead it's a, the organization you know the biggest mindset a leader has and this is where i think shifts need to happen is we assume that we have all the answers and all we are wanting is people to follow what we are doing but the reality is i'm sitting on a leadership position i really don't know what's happening on the ground i only get filtered reports of what is happening the real people who are actually doing work on the ground know the reality so rather than me telling them what to do it's easier for me to empower them and give them some broad conditions and give them a goal and have them achieve it but leaders find that a very disempowering process and they get scared that they are not in control anymore so it's more this fear psychosis that is not allowing this to happen Hmm. It's interesting. Uh, you say like the kind of fear psychosis that's in the organization. Maybe that's also because when you empower uh, individuals, as you mentioned, the uh, you know action that might be in the other direction. Does that also mean that people will start thinking of themselves and the organizations when they become empowered? Yes, and that's exactly the concern. And and what I'm saying is that we shouldn't really be concerned about it because people. No, nobody is really wanting to go out and destroy value in the company that they are in right i mean if you assume that people are wanting to destroy value they would have done that long ago and there's very little you can do to control it but it's this whole ego need to uh, you know listen to what i say and get people to flow on on a path of what i am saying is i think the biggest mindset change which leaderships need to have to realize that um teams know what to do you just need to create the right energies to make them do it hmm interesting so what are the key things that plays a role in making the change last longer uh one is creating this uh, amoeba effect of energy like i said you know where you create not only a bunch of five change agents who can drive it but basically build this capability in as many employees as possible so that they can go about energizing working with each other and and creating that energy in the company that's one the second thing that makes it lasting is if you train people to focus on making themselves successful there's a higher probability of it lasting rather than focusing on training people to make a strategy successful because strategies will keep changing the reality on the market will keep changing so your strategy also going to get pretty much outdated in the next 3 to 6 months so rather than train people on driving a strategy train train people to create their own ideas of how they can achieve those goals by making themselves successful in doing that i think that's where the power shift has to happen and that's where probably change becomes more lasting
and and it's also true you know if you take away the theory see if you hear um of people who have worked in startups and companies that you know like google for example have have many such examples where employees have been empowered and do exciting new things that make them feel that they are making a difference in what they are in the, in the world they are in creates far more energy and momentum than having a structured bunch of people following a regimen so it's time and again proven as a formula but very often it's this fear of how do we manage it that's not allowing organizations to actually uh, use this idea and take it forward yeah it's interesting that you pulled the example of google right because they do have their different set of products that exclusively came from their employees by em- empowering the employees within the organizations and, and that's where i was uh, headed like uh, you also have experience on in innovation thinking and helping businesses figure out the new ways to do business right so how can an organization develop or build the culture of innovation within their system uh that that's a very interesting concept and um i was actually having a very interesting conversation with um uh, the ceo of one company and he says you know how can i drive make my people very innovative and make them successful and i asked a very simple question i said um uh, let's assume that the innovation that you're driving was to fail uh, how much money are you willing to put uh, as a loss for that failed innovation and he turned around and said why all innovations should succeed and and that's precisely the problem of innovation right because when you are looking at innovation not all innovations are successful we hear and read the success stories of innovation but the reality in organizations is that one out of 10 innovations is likely to succeed and become uh, successful and that's mm-hmm. also the story of startups if you go ahead yeah so what happens in large organizations is that we are only rewarded by success and when you have a culture that punishes failure you cannot drive innovation in that company very powerful yeah and um, therefore you know putting that message that you know it is okay to test out something and once you've tested out take the learnings from it even if it is not successful you will start the seeds of people feeling uh, comfortable in driving innovation so the first thing is you know like i said create kind of a, a a space for for people to feel safe about failure the second is not everybody um is kind of excited about innovation so there will be some companies uh, individuals in in an organization who are more i would say risk taking more excitable more um wanting to explore new things um than many others so finding these what i typically call uh, innovation sparklers in your company is the next key thing so find those innovation sparklers in your company that uh, you think are the guy kind of people you want to put into these teams to fire up that innovation the third is um, actually to you know look at it very different and, and it was very interesting we were kind of uh, doing work with a particular company and they said you know we really don't know um where we are likely to be attacked from so we created a small group of people and um, uh, from this company and we kind of asked them to ideate on if they were to be a startup and if they were to attack their own organization which is the most vulnerable point of this organization that would be rel- uh, that would be impacted by a digital disruption and in the space of a few days the employees were able to identify three or four weak links 
in the organization that were vulnerable to digital disruption. And we call that as destroy your business. So th that's the third part. You know, invite your own teams to attack your own company uh, to find where those opportunities for innovation are. Wow. And then spark that as a startup. And then spark that as giving them a kind of a, a kind of a budget and a space to say, okay, now you're you're given an opportunity to cannibalize my organization, and therefore you use these digital innovations to try and then create that disruption that you need. And what I'm sharing is not something new. If you think of it, you know, Amazon started off as a book company, um, and they realized that the um, digital world will destroy their book assets, and they created Kindle. So they disrupted their own business. Um, by their own digital uh, technologies. So it's this ability of an organization to disrupt themselves will make them last longer rather than waiting for another startup to come and disrupt them. Wow, that's so very, very just powerful point. I really love that. Like uh, asking your employees to destroy your company, uh, you know, and uh, coming out the innovative ideas to um uh, disrupt the ideas of the way company has been functioning. That's awesome. So uh, let's switch the gears to digital transformation. And you have already uh, ignited the conversation around that. So you are a thought leader on digital transformation. And your recent work is focused on that as well, including uh, you are writing a book on digital transformation. So you talk about digital disruption, or what you may like to call digital tsunami. So what it is all about? Actually, um, it's very interesting. Uh, when we were uh, doing research, um, this was with the University of St. Gallen in Switzerland. Uh, one very interesting thing came out from this research of this university. Um, you know, we always live in this fear that, oh, you know, which is the next innovation that's going to destroy my business and you don't know it and you, and a lot of people are talking about it. But the very interesting thing is that, you know, disruption comes uh, through what we call business model patterns. And throughout the history of business, there are only 57 business model patterns that have ever been invented that are actually kind of draw, destroying or creating new um, business value. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. um, and, and these business model patterns, um, there is one called the razor and blade pattern. So if you think of uh, Gillette as a company, they were the first mm -hmm. people who started with um, making the uh, razor cheap. But every time you bought the refill that was the blade, it was expensive. So this is what we call the razor blade model. Now you think of the razor blade model and you think of what has happened in the, in the, in the past few years. There's no new innovation that has happened. It's just that people have copied that pattern and I've actually used that in their businesses. So Hewlett Packard, for example, they started copying this pattern by making printers cheap and refills expensive. And Nespresso did the same thing by making basically the coffee machine cheap and the coffee expensive. So all innovation comes from actually mixing up these 55 to 57 business model patterns that we have actually discovered. And Innovation is about combining these business model patterns, adding to that the digital technologies and seeing how this can then have a positive or a negative impact on a particular uh, business, depending upon your strategy. And that's really the key to uh, discovering new innovation. So uh, I, I can give you another um, interesting example. So, you know, now, mm -hmm. the, the thing is, you know, it's now, of course, become fairly popular. But um, in in the old in the 
I think Google was the one to first start this, actually Amazon as well, uh, started this concept of, you know, making the, um, the services cheap, but then they started using your data to, to, to create insights. So data as a service, so data or information of, of, um, of people and consumers became an asset. And if you see in, in most organizations today, this has become a pattern that is getting replicated. People are using more and more data and insights that they are capturing. So data has suddenly become the new currency for the future. So again, this is another business model pattern that is getting replicated. So once you understand that these patterns exist and you understand that if these 55 patterns are, are available for me or 57 patterns depending upon whether you are looking at the, the business model pattern from the St. Gallen University or from SAP because we've added a few more patterns to that. Um, you start being able to find out how you can combine these to create uh, the next, I would say, tsunami of, of innovation that you were pointing to. So how can a business today can prepare themselves for the digital disruption that's happening rather than sitting down and worrying about the digital disruption coming in or the tsunami coming in? Yeah, the first term I would say is um, look at it from people. Uh, it's I Like I said, identifying these sparklers in your company to find out who are the people who can be your torchbearers to um, define that. The second is training these people to understand these patterns and um, define how these patterns can potentially impact the current business model of the company. The third is basically uh, looking at all the, the new innovations that are happening in the business, particularly in digital technologies, to see how these digital technologies can then combine these patterns to create this digital disruptions and then inviting these people to actually find those vulnerable points that would help you destroy your business, which would then spark the initiative of saying, okay, uh, these are the five or six things that we would potentially need to do if we were to um, actually drive this new innovation in the company. And then putting it through what I typically call the shark's tank. So you need to create that innovation culture where you ask your employees not only to come up with ideas, but constantly filter them as a kind of a flowing, um, I would say stream of ideas so that you're constantly evaluating new ideas, testing them, validating them, dropping them or adopting them and going along. So creating this cult continuous culture and buzz uh, and flow of new ideas will keep an organization alive and alert to all the new innovations that uh, either are potentially coming towards them or they are creating to create new businesses and destroy uh, other businesses that they are going to be impacting. Mm, that's very interesting. Uh, a lot of insights over there. So Lalit, now it's time for the enlightening round. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So what inspires you to do everything that you do? To me, um, it has to be personally exciting to me. So I love um, doing things that create energy, excitement, and uh, a bit of, you know, I've never done it before kind of feeling. And that, that that's the perfect recipe to excite me. Challenge yourself. So which one daily habit do you believe has been game changer for you in your success journey? Uh, the one is um, what I would typically say is, is my, my imaginative sense. So I tend to, with what, whoever I meet and whatever I do, I try to find one thing that would be different, um, or if I could do this differently, 
uh, what would, would that one thing be? So that whole discovery of that one thing difference, whether it's when I'm interacting with a customer to find out what's that new thing that this customer could start doing, which they've not been doing in the past. Or if I'm talking within my own organization, what's the one thing that in, in the organization we could do that we've not done in the past? Or if I'm talking to myself, what's the one thing that I could do differently that I've not done in the past? Are things that I keep thinking about and keep trying. And that's um, what I think has helped me be where I am. If you have to pick one book, I know that, you know, uh, you might have a lot of books that uh, has moved you or maybe uh, helped you navigate through your own life. So if you have to pick one book uh, that has left a deep impact on you or moved you, what would be that, that book? Uh, okay, so so that book is uh, The Goal uh, by um, Eliyahu Goldratt. Um, so many, many years ago when during my MBA school, I was um, actually kind of studying production management and we had one professor and I still remember that professor, you know, he had the, I think third or fourth day of his lecture, he had uh, announced in the class, he says, these are the five students who are not going to complete their MBA because I don't, I'm not going to pass them. And the, one of them was me. <laughs> and because I really struggled with uh, production management. And then I read this book uh, called Eliyahu Goldratt's The Gold. And what I liked about it was in his very simple storytelling style, he explained this theory of constraints so well that I kind of understood it, not only understood it, but I was able to kind of excel at it. And I landed up doing very well in that production class. So I realized that storytelling um, and management can really come together. You know, management books shouldn't be all about theory. I think that's the message for me that's kind of born me instead. And that's also defined my style of writing. Uh, and that's how actually I wrote this book as well. I wrote it more storytelling because that was what inspired me. Would you like to recommend some online tool or resources that you use on a daily basis that uh, has helped you in your self-help or personal development journey? Not um, a tool that's helped me personally, but... This, I was sharing about the business model patterns. I think if you go to the University of St. Gallen and look at the business model patterns, if you are in the space of uh, innovation and digital transformation, these patterns are very useful. I would recommend to the people who are um, not seen it so far to actually log on and find out about it and learn about it because they are very interesting tools that you could use to drive innovation in your organization. Would you like to give any messages to organizations, leaders, or maybe businesses who are looking forward to drive change or maybe a digital disruption or anything that that message that you'd like to give to uh, these organization leaders or the business owners? Yes, absolutely. So so people for, from a change point of view, um, the only one simple message I'd like to leave is uh, remember, change is driven by people on the ground. So the focus of any strategy should be to make your people more successful on the ground. Rather than telling them what to do, find out from them what would make them more successful and and support them in, in that journey. That's number one. If I was talking about digital and digital innovation, um, to me, the first step of an innovation culture is to encourage risk-taking and allowing people to to create a, a safe space for them to take those risks and rewarding people for those risks uh, is very critical. Otherwise, you will find that innovation will not come into your organization. And the third thing I would kind of uh, say more from 
a very um, overarching view is that change and innovation are kind of interlinked. And uh, uh, once you've kind of seeded those initial um, tools of innovation, you will need to use a lot of the methods around change management to make that innovation scale to a point. Because remember, you will have the same kind of scenarios where you know there'll be a political impact. So there'll be leaders who have been used to being successful in a particular way. And your new internal innovation is going to threaten their power base because now you're coming up with a totally new idea. So managing those political dynamics that we talked about earlier, all those dimensions become equally relevant to drive an innovation to become successful within an organization and get adopted. Amazing. So, Lalit, would you like to talk a bit about uh, what your book, When Change Happen, is and how can people basically reach out to you and learn more about you and your work? Uh, thank you for asking that question. So, um, when change happens is actually the story of a change agent as he navigates his journey through change. Um, it's theory mixed with a with an interesting story. The character, in fact, has um, a love life as well. So it's there's a romance built into the story. It's the drama built into the story. So it's not a dry read on change management. It's um, talking about the adventures of a person through a change journey. So. Um, that that's what um, I would like to kind of uh, leave with the readers to explore this book um, as a as a as a read that provides not only insights but also entertains them on the way. Um, for for reaching out to me, yeah, I have a website. When change happens, um, please uh, link to that website, and um, my latest blogs will be on it, as well as um, the links to where my books are available is also there. And I'm happy to. Uh, respond and and reach out to you if you uh, are able to um, write on your comments on that site and uh, i'm looking forward to engaging with people guys make sure that you get in touch with lalit get his book on amazon i'm going to link everything up on the show notes page of this episode at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 5353 so lalit here's the last question for you yes go ahead yeah Imagine that you are standing on a stage which is the largest ever built in the history of the world and every single seat on that stadium is occupied and people out there, like there are millions of people and they are listening to you very, very carefully and you were given only one minute of time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life. What would be your message? I would say follow your dream and be sure about what is it that makes you feel empowered and focus on that you will be successful follow your dreams I really enjoyed having this conversation Lalit thank you so much for being on the show thank you so much I appreciate that hey guys thank you so much for listening to this episode I hope you learned something or got some inspiration if you did make sure to share this episode with your friends by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 5353 I have linked all the resources and links on the show notes page of this episode at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 5353 that is com forward slash 53 and if you have some suggestions or feedback for this podcast you can record your message by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash speak. That is 
theinspiringtalk.com forward slash speak. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.